You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. We are continuing our series, Come and Believe. This is the Gospel of John, and we're just going to go through passage by passage, straight through the book of John over the next several months. And, um, and we are, I, I've been blessed the whole way through. And I just want to remind us that what John is doing. This is Come and Believe, right? He's showing us Jesus and who he is as he uh, lives up to the names that he has called, as he fulfills the Old Testament scriptures about the coming Messiah, we, we get to just focus in. And John's intent is that we would come to believe and then we would know what the implications for our life are. Right? And so as we uh, continue that this week, we are going to be in uh, John 2, verses 12 through 22 this morning. And if you do not have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. If you need sermon notes or a pen, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible at all, uh, take this Bible as a gift. You, we need God's word, right? That's, this is what is the authority and, and in our life, and so we need it. So if you don't have it, hang on to it. Keep it. If you just forgot your Bible at home, if it's on the counter, if it's in the car, wherever, and you just need one, get one so you have it in your hands. We always want you reading along, seeing the scripture as we preach because that's where the authority is. And so, like I said, we're, we're going to end up in John 2, verse 12 through 22 this morning. And, and I titled this, Come to the Temple. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about. But as I was thinking through this, I was thinking about things in our life. Things that uh, held or held, hold still, huge significance. Um, that that we carry on, and over time, sometimes it becomes so commonplace to us that we might forget the significance of it. So my favorite example is, so I have four children. My oldest is getting ready to turn 16 in the spring, the youngest just turned seven a couple months back, and, and they all had a special item. And the parents will know what I'm talking about, and some of you might remember your special item, whether it was a blankie, or a soft animal, or a stuffed animal, whatever, we call them soft babies, uh, whatever that thing was, right, that, man, when it was, like, you didn't mess with that. This is huge importance in our life, right? You did not mess with it, to the point where, like, as parents, like, I, I remember going back to restaurants if it was accidentally dropped somewhere, or having, you know, you're driving for a while, and then it's like, oh, no, where is it? Like, you go back home and get it. Or my favorite is bedtime. Like, we, it's, it's a full-out search and rescue mission if the blankie is not present, right? And we got to tear through the house and find it. And it has great significance. But what I've noticed is, like my oldest, I haven't seen her carry that thing for a while. And my little guy's even moving out of it. Like, hey, do you need to take this? Nah, it's all right. And what happens is it becomes so common that the importance isn't gone, it's just not 
as, as integral in our life, right? And so it starts to be, we kind of just think less of it, even though if you ask somebody, like, is this an important item? Yes, it is. And I think we all have these things. And that's really uh, what I was thinking about as I was looking at this, the temple this morning. And, and hopefully we'll uh, open this up and you will see that. So that being said, this is, I always like to give you the big takeaway, right? So if you fall asleep while I'm talking, like you already got the point of the sermon up front. So this is our big takeaway this morning is Jesus is the eternal and incorruptible temple. So say that again. Jesus is the eternal and incorruptible temple. So if anybody needs to run out, now's the time. Otherwise, we're going to get into the word and see why I say that. I'm going to uh, go ahead and read through this passage. And, and um, it's starting in verse 12. I'm just going to read all the way through, and then we will, uh, as they say, unpack it. And so read with me. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is God's word for God's people. So as we're looking at this, I just want to take like that first verse. Uh, it, it's kind of odd if we're reading through. It might feel like, what, what's that have to do with anything? And it, is it just a transition? Can we run past it? And we never want to run past any of God's word. It all has purpose. It all has meaning. It's all significant. And so I'm going to touch on that before I kind of get into the points. Um, because it talks about they went to Capernaum. Jesus with his mother and his brothers. And, and we know from Scripture, from Matthew 15, 30, 13, sorry, 13, 55 and 56, it says, and, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and are not all his sisters with us. So, so we know he has four brothers, half-brothers, children of Joseph and Mary. We know he has some sisters. There's at least two because it's, it's plural, right? And they're going to Capernaum. And we might think, why is that? And we see this more in the other Gospels where it talks about Capernaum uh, becomes a, a base of operations. At some point, that family moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. We don't know when, but it, it happened. That's where they're living. 
And this is a place where uh, is kind of a base of operations, if you will. As, as Jesus is doing ministry and miracles throughout Galilee, um, there, there's this coming back to this place. He calls some of his disciples from here. It, so it's an important place. And if we just go breezing past, we might miss that. And so he stayed there a few days, and so this is also a marker, uh, kind of a place and time marker as we move from what Pastor Blair talked about last week, the wedding at Cana, uh, and, and as we're getting ready to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. This is a marker, and these markers are important. It says he went there, stayed there a few days, and, and I'll talk more about the place as we get into the rest of this, but I just, I want us to always look at the fullness of scripture and know that it has great meaning. So going on and, and looking really from 13 on, we're going to get to my first point. And, and as we're looking at this idea of the temple, I want us to remember that the temple reminds us of God's presence. The temple is a central point of, uh, of worship for the Jewish people. It, it is, uh, helps them think back to, to God's presence and what that means. And I'll give you kind of a, a biblical historical arc, right? So God's presence, if we go all the way back to the garden, to Eden, right? God is with his creation. He's with man. He walks with him. And so his presence is there. Right. But then sin breaks that. And and, and because uh, holy, holy God, sin can't be in his presence without being destroyed. God gives this separation through a system of sacrifices, a, a system of purification, making oneself holy for interaction through physical barriers as, as we then look towards the tabernacle. And the, and the tabernacle, if you remember, came to the Jewish people after God leads them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. So his, he, he leads them. He's with them, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. And then he, he gives them instruction for this, this tent complex where his presence comes down and resides amongst his people. Right? And so... His presence is with them. The glory of God, and we've sang about that a bunch this morning, the glory of God is there with his people. And they keep messing up. But his promise, he's steadfast in it. And we, we fast forward, and this tabernacle goes with the people, right? It's traveling around until they come to their land, the promised land, and, and they take control of it. And we see that as King David uh, established his kingdom there on earth, he wants to glorify God. He has this huge desire to build a permanent place of residence for the glory of God, for his presence. But he can't. God tells him he can't. He uh, talks to him about his life and the blood he shed. And, and, but he gives a promise that his son will. And then Solomon builds this temple. This temple is magnificent. It is uh, one of the ancient wonders of the world. It's, it's this place that people talk about, and they talk about it not just for the structure, but because the glory of God is 
there resting. He comes into the Holy of Holies, but there's still the system, right? We can't come in there because we got sin, and, and, and if we come in with our sin, we're going to be destroyed by the glory of God. And this temple lasts for 40 years. It is the central place of worship. And then the Babylonians come and they destroy the temple and they take God's people into exile. And this temple, this remembrance uh, kind of shifts, right? It shifts from I get to go to this place to they pray in the direction of it, remembering God's presence. Right. And then when when they get to come back and they get to rebuild the temple, uh, there's even a passage where the old guys who remember the first one are like, this ain't it. Like, it's just not quite there. And there seems to be this shift where it's no longer thought of as where the presence of God is, but really remembering the presence of God. They still come and they still do the sacrifices. They still, uh, re, you know, follow through with the law. But there's something that's happening. And then that gets us to the second temple is really what we're talking about when, when Jesus and his disciples go up to Jerusalem. And, and so he, they go there for the Passover, which is the annual reminder of God freeing his people, of the exodus out of slavery, where his presence is with them, where he promises that presence with his people. And so they go there and they remember each year. And I want us to kind of get a picture of what this looks like. So you have Jerusalem. It's a city, right? Um, but these people are kind of converging on Jerusalem. And it's not because of nightlife or anything like that. It's because of the temple. And so uh, a historian, Justice, had even said there, there would be as many as 250,000 sacrifices during the Passover. So that, those are sacrifices that the men would have brought or the, for their family or whatever. Like, that's a lot of people and a lot of sacrifices, all to fulfill this, to remember God's presence, to, to try and recapture some of that by coming to the temple. And as they do this and they remember God's presence, uh, we see this is the situation this mass of people going to this place, pilgrimage, right? And, and this is a situation that Jesus and his disciples find themselves in. And, and this is, brings us into our second point, and that is that the temple requires reverence for God. Now, under the sacrificial system, all these pilgrims are required to bring an animal sacrifice. And that animal sacrifice has to be without blemish. Can't be lame. Can't, can't have issues physically. It has to be a good and right sacrifice. And these guys also, all male adults, are called at the same time usually to, to bring their temple tax. They, they owe a temple tax each year and the law requires this tax to be pure, the purest of silver, because that is a good and right offering, right? It's clean, pure. It is what a holy God should receive. 
And, and so I want us to look at this passage in a, a cultural context that they would understand at that time. And, and we'll, we'll show you why uh, this reverence becomes an issue. So, for example, uh, Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Capernaum to Jerusalem. Um, it's about 80 miles. They say roughly three to four days, uh, depending on how fast and how long they walk each day, right? And, and so I want you to imagine this, this group of men trying to make that trek, which is already strenuous, arduous journey, with animals that they need to keep pure and clean to be unblemished, to give a right sacrifice. Might be difficult, right? And, and so we see what happens is, is people have brought these animals there so that they're ready. And the animals that they would be selling, as we see in the temple complex right here, would have been inspected by the priestly caste. They would have made sure that they were uh, of good value. They were unblemished. They were ready for that sacrifice. Right? The other thing we look at is that idea of the temple tax. The money changers, why are they there? Because we can think of these as bad things, but the temple tax is really a, a convenience for all these people who are coming from somewhere else, and they have coins. And, and some of it has to do with what's on the coin. Is it the, the emperor, Roman emperor's image? Is it some other pagan deity? What, whatever it is, but the real crux of the problem is that they're not pure to the standard that the law requires. And so they, they need to have these pure coins. And instead of having them all the time and remembering to bring it and not get robbed and all this stuff, uh, they would come with whatever coins they use in their daily life. As they, as they go and buy and sell go goods, excuse me, they, they would have their regular coins and they need to bring them and then these money changers would change them. And, and there's nothing in this passage right here where it talks about the money changers where it's specifically calling out like they were corrupt and doing evil, right? There was a fee, just like if we travel overseas and we have to use the local money, we go and we're going to swap money and there's a transaction fee. Like there's a fee associated. So they're charging a fee for that convenience, for that service. So the problem isn't so much the animals and it isn't the money changers. The problem is that for some reason, that has crept into the temple complex. Other historians have, have mentioned and other commentaries talk about uh, they would have animal booths and money changers across the Kidron Valley at the Mount of Olives. Nothing wrong with that. What Jesus finds to be the problem is that it is in the temple complex that is supposed to be the place of God's glory. It is a central point of worship. Now, I want you to think of, of trying to be in the presence of God, trying to pray with an orchestra of farm animals sounding around you. Moos and bleats, and then people, you know, just the chatter of commerce, you know, the clanking of money. Now, for some of us, like, 
we're growing in, the, in that ability to pray with others around us, right? We're, we're stretching that muscle here. We like to do that, right? We're going to pray together, and uh, everybody's praying, and sometimes it's really distracting, but we're growing towards that. But imagine you're sitting right here in a seat trying to pray, and right next to you is... It's a little distracting. And just everything that comes with that, the, the filth that's coming into the temple, it's not clean. So Jesus needed to clean house. He needed to cleanse the temple to rightly restore the reverence to the place that was meant to be the dwelling of God. Place of worship. And we, uh, we need to understand that God is serious about his glory. Whenever it talks about God's glory, like there is a seriousness of the, related to that. God demands holiness. He wants his glory to be what is uh, foremost on our mind, that we do things to and for the glory of God. We see this all throughout scripture. And because of that, Jesus is going to cleanse the temple because the temple requires continuous reverence. And there, there's a lot going on. Uh, this is actually expected. Um, there's a, a, a passage in Malachi 3, in verses 1 and 4, really talks about that God is suddenly going to appear at the temple and he is going to cleanse the, the, the people, you know, the, the sons of Levi, and refine them as gold and silver. And, and so we know that they understand the importance. But just like we talked about earlier, like just the idea of it's become commonplace in their lives, in their worship, to where they would just kind of let that kind of seep in. sure when they first erected the temple like they would have never thought to have animals and commerce going on in the house of God where his glory resides with his people and that's what it's supposed to be the temple reminds us of God's presence and to come into his presence demands a level of reverence and this is all pointing to kind of the crescendo, the, the, the crux, the important emphasis of John for this passage. And that is that the temple is realized in Christ. Or to put it more plainly, the temple is Jesus. Now this is what we realize in Jesus' response. In, in this interaction we see with the Jews, right? Because they ask him a question, and his response, if you read that, like it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? They say, you know, what sign do you give us? And he says, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up. And like, if we were having a conversation, and you said something like that, and I said that response, like, it seems like they're missing. But it's not, because what Jesus is doing here, when he answers this question, is he's not giving us a sign, but he is making a declaration of who he is. Because this question, 
what sign do you give us for doing this? It isn't about show us a sign. Notice they're not asking, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Why would you drive out the animals and the money changers? They don't ask that. They expect that. It makes sense when they think scripturally back through the Old Testament, through the scriptures, that this isn't supposed to be going on. So they don't ask, why, why are you doing this? They say, what sign do you give? And what they're really saying is, what gives you the authority to do what you just did? How do you have the authority to come in here in the temple where the glory of God dwells and to drive these people out? Who are you to do this? And while Jesus' response may not seem, even to them, like it makes sense, this side of the cross, we see that it does. Because it talks about his mission and his authority. He says, destroy this temple, reinforcing his, his mission. He is going to the cross. He's going to the cross to transform things like we talked about last week and to cleanse things, our sinful hearts, like we're talking about this week. He is going to the cross. That is his mission. And then he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up. And that is his authority. In that statement, he is saying, I have the power to raise myself to life. I have the power over life and death. I am God. And if the dwelling of God, the temple, is, is the earthly manifestation of where God's glory dwells, he is saying, I am the temple. I want to just remind us of Colossians 1, uh, verses 19 through 20, where it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, or on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. All the glory of God in him. No longer just a physical place to go to to remember the glory of God, but the actual glory of God walking amongst his people. So Jesus is the temple. He is the presence of God among his creation. He's the fulfillment of the purpose of the temple. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And just as God walked with us in the garden, and Jesus for his short time on earth walked with his people, we really see that the ark continues in two things, we see the fulfillment as we as we look forward. Revelation twenty two or twenty one twenty two says, "And I saw no temple in the city." Talking about the New Jerusalem, our final destination. I saw no temple in the city, for the its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The fulfillment. The, the restoration from the garden 
to the new Jerusalem where God will walk with his people and will be present and they won't need a physical reminder and they won't need separation of, of rites and rituals and, and they won't need the law because Christ accomplished all of it because he is the temple. There's a uh, commentator, uh, D.A. Carson, and, and he wrote the gospel according to John and he really sums it up very succinctly and well and I want to read this for you. It says, therefore, it is the human body of Jesus that uniquely manifests the Father, the living abode of God on earth, the fulfillment of all the temple meant, and the center of all true worship. Jesus is the temple. And this is confirmed as he fulfills what he said. He raised raised to life on the third day, raised himself. And as he has saved us and placed his spirit, the presence and glory of God in us, as he ascended, he charged us with the role of being the temple. We then are the temple First Peter 2.5 calls us living stones of a spiritual house. First Corinthians 3.16 and 17 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For the, God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The dwelling of God in us as believers walking around the, the physical embodiment of the purpose of the temple spread out in each and every one of us as believers. And I was reading this, and I will tell you that I was convicted that that idea has become commonplace, right? How often really do we think that the glory of God dwells in us? become like that thing that we know it's important we know the value but it's so common to us day to day I don't think we think about the full impact of what that means we, we should be like the disciples like the, the last uh, part of that verse that passage say hear about Christ, they look at him and they realize this. It says, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let's believe like the disciples. Let's think deeply about the temple and that we are that temple. We're the ones that help people, even in, amongst us, to remember God's presence. And we should have a holy reverence for that. We need to have a mindset like Jesus. We need to be serious about the holiness of God's presence in his temple. As we think about this, as I've thought about this, is there something that needs to be driven out of my thoughts, of my life, that's detracting from the holiness of the temple of God. 
and it doesn't have to be something bad, just like the animals and the money changers. It's just crept in to that place that is reserved for his glory, for his worship. And maybe this needs to be driven out. We need to freshly repent and ask God, push these things out so that that space is just for you. Let's not be complacent with the idea of the presence of God in us, that we bring that presence everywhere we go. Don't come commonplace, that we would lose that reverence. So I'll just tell you, like I was convicted about this, and, and I'm looking forward to my small group this week because this is what we need to talk about. And I'm sure others are feeling this. And so I want to go into your small group. I want you guys to go into your small group and talk about this. How, how can I help you? How can you help me think deeply about the glory of God that resides in me? That I would take serious these things. And if you're not in small group, get in a small group. <laughs> but talk to your community of believers, right? Those people around you. And, and if you're feeling this way, Express that because they might be too. And man, if we can walk side by side towards Jesus and just remind each other of that glory, it would be awesome. The idea that we are eternally saved is miraculous and we should be passionate, zealous about that and about God's glory. Let's be amazed. Let's be amazed that Jesus was willing to step out of fullness of glory in heaven that he deserved, that he rightly deserves. Glory that, that we just can't get to that place on earth for him. But he stepped out of that so that he could walk with us, so that he could be the embodiment of the presence of God, and that he was willing to call us, each of us who is saved, Put his spirit in us. That spirit is our guarantee. Our guarantee that he is abiding with us and will eternally abide with us. And really, I just like, I want us to be refreshed. I want us to remember God's presence. I want us to be like, how often are we hitting our knees and, and asking God to cleanse us again freshly? And we're going to have a chance to do that. In, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. And, and before we go to the Lord's table, even as we're sitting here, as you're listening to me, I want to just think about that. Lord, cleanse me freshly so that I can come right with a right worship, with a right sacrifice to you. Let's remember that Jesus is the eternal and incorruptible temple. And let's come to the temple. If you'll pray with me, we're going to have the band come back up and ushers will come forward and we're going to get ready for communion. Father in heaven, you are glorious. Let us dwell on that. Let us sing about that. Let us be encouraged. Let our hearts be full with that idea. Not just the thought, but let us feel it deep.
deep in our bones. Let us be passionate about that. Lord, it is amazing that you would put your spirit inside us, that you would let us be the living embodiment of your temple until you come back again and fulfill it for eternity. Lord, I ask right now that you would bring things to our mind that maybe aren't bad but are, are distracting, are, are pulling glory away from you. And cleanse those from us, Lord, and help us to walk in, in reverence. Help us to love you, live for you, and show your glory to those who don't know you. We thank you for what the temple means. We thank you for the fulfillment in Christ. And we thank you for his sacrifice to do that. To step out of heaven on a mission towards the cross so that we could be with you. Unhindered by the law, unhindered by physical barriers, but have access to the throne room of God. We love you, and it is in the glorious name of Christ that we pray. Amen.